Welcome to the Sunday Evening Bible Study Podcast from Fellowship Baptist Church in Linton, Indiana. We're so thankful and grateful for the opportunity to be able to bring you these studies in the Word of God in this format and in this way. Over the past several weeks, we've been studying through the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we're going to continue that story here tonight, beginning in chapter number 16 of 2 Samuel. We've made our way from the very beginning of 1 Samuel as Saul is crowned to be the very first king of Israel. We've seen the struggles between David and Saul. We saw eventually the death of Saul and the Uh, the beginning of David's reign as the king of Israel. David has now moved through his time as king, and we're approaching uh, the latter end of those years. Chapter number 16 puts us in the middle of one of the greater conflicts in David's life. The Lord has promised because of his sin with Bathsheba that David would face consequences. And one of those consequences is that dysfunction and difficulty would arise within his own house. And we see the fulfillment of that in the rebellion of Absalom against his father. And Absalom has gathered himself support from around the nation. He has declared himself to be the king of Israel. And in response to that, David is forced to flee his home and flee Jerusalem. And he's on the run again, just as he was so many years ago, running from Saul. And as David makes his way out of Jerusalem, he finds who his real friends are. He finds those who will be faithful and loyal to him. He'll also find those who will betray him. He'll find those who will choose the more expedient route those who will choose to serve Absalom and the one who seems to be the presumptive king of Israel. And he'll find who is going to be loyal and faithful to him. And we see those names listed here in these next few chapters and a few to be familiar with. We see a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel for many years had been one of David's closest counselors and advisors. And in the moment when Absalom is crowned to be king, Ahithophel abandons David and he decides that attaching himself to Absalom is the the best route for his own personal gain and his own personal survival. And so he follows Absalom and betrays David. We have another man named Hushai. Hushai goes and he pursues after David. And he goes to David and he says, David, uh, I've always been loyal to you. I've always been faithful to you. And I will continue to do so even now as you're on the run and running for your life. And David tells Hushai, he says, the best thing you could do for me right now and in this moment is to go back to Absalom and tell Absalom that you're pledging allegiance to him He said, but I want you to give him bad counsel and bad advice. And not just that, I want you to report everything that you hear inside of Absalom's house. I want you to send word to me. And Hushai then returns and becomes David's spy inside the house of Absalom. And so now this plan has been set. David continues on down the road and he comes across a man named Shimei. And Shimei, in what has to be one of the darkest days of David's life, his son has betrayed him, stolen his kingdom, taken everything he has, and David's now on the run just like he was when he was a younger man running from Saul. And this man, Shimei, comes out to meet David and those that are with him. He begins to kick dirt at David and throw stones, and he begins to curse David. 
And he calls David a bloody man, and he accuses David of mistreating the house of Saul, which, of course, we know he never did. He did his best to to reconcile that relationship with the house of Saul through Mephibosheth and those uh, that he tried to help there. But Shimei accuses him of always wanting Saul dead and uh, destroying the family of Saul and his legacy after he was gone. And immediately, those who are traveling with David, they, they jump to defend. And of course, we see over and over again this, this man named Abishai. I always say, every time you see Abishai's name, he's, he's ready to take somebody's head off. He's ready to kill somebody. And that's exactly what he does. And he jumps to David's defense and he said, David, this man has no right to speak to you this way. Let me take care of him. And David simply says, I, I know that what he's saying is wrong. I know it's not true, and you know it's not true. But maybe if I show him grace and I show him mercy, then the Lord will show me grace and show me mercy. And so David's men put their weapons away. They continue on down the road. And David eventually meets with a man named Ziba. And if you've been following the story throughout the last several chapters, Ziba is the servant of Mephibosheth, that young man, that, that son of Jonathan that David had shown such kindness to. And if you remember, David was looking for someone of the house of Saul that he could show his mercy and his love and really fulfill the promise that he had made to Jonathan. And the only one he was able to find was this young man, Mephibosheth, who had been lame since he was a young man. But he's brought into the palace and he is rewarded. He's given the lands and the wealth that used to belong to Saul. He's given a seat at David's table. He is brought in as one of David's sons and part of the family. And now the servant of that young man, Mephibosheth, his servant Ziba comes to David and he has these animals loaded down with with food and supplies and provisions. And he comes to David and David asks the question, he says, where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba, we'll later on find out, lies to David. And he tells David that Mephibosheth has abandoned him, that he's gone and joined himself to Absalom, and he's betrayed David's trust. And David, obviously hurt and upset by this, goes out of his way and says, Mephibosheth, uh, Mephibosheth has abandoned me. But Ziba, because you have been faithful, because you have been loyal, I am now giving all of that land, all of that wealth that I once gave to Mephibosheth, I am now giving that and bestowing that on you because of your loyalty, because of your faithfulness to me. And David continues on down the road and we see that that spy that he had sent to Absalom's house becomes absolutely pivotal to what happens next. Absalom has come in. He has taken over Jerusalem. He has taken possession of the palace that David had built. And he is now sitting in the capital of Israel as the king of Israel. He seems to have this well in hand and well under control. The only problem now is what to do about David. And so he calls his counselors and his advisors together. And he asks for plans of how he should handle this issue and this problem with David. And he has two counselors, Ahithophel, who truly had betrayed David and joined himself to Absalom. And then we have Hushai. He's the spy that David has sent to give bad advice and to pass on information to David. And so he asked these two men, and he starts with Ahithophel. And he asked Ahithophel, what should I do? What should be the course of action? And Ahithophel gives pretty sound counsel. He says, you have David on the run. 
You have him with just a small band of men, and he's going from place to place, and he's on the run right now. He said, what you need to do is you need to strike quickly and decisively. You need to take the men that you have gathered together now. You pursue David, and tonight you'll you'll overtake him. You'll find him. You can kill him, and this is all over. If you can find David tonight, then you can take his life, and this will be your kingdom without any questions. And Ahithophel warns, he said, if you don't pursue David quickly, David's done this before. David hid for years from Solomon. I'm sorry, from Saul. He hid for years and he was on the run for years from Saul. And because of that, David had just an incredible ability. And you can see this all through this story. David really has a wonderful ability to be able to, uh, to, be able to develop relationships and alliances that are long-lasting. David shows loyalty to his friends, and you see them repay that loyalty time and time again. And because of that, the fear that Ahithophel had would be that the longer that David is on the run, the more difficult he'll be to find, and also the more relationships and the more friends he'll be able to go to, build himself a larger army, build himself a stronger alliance, and eventually be able to retake his throne. So Ahithophel's suggestion and his advice and counsel, in short, is to pursue David tonight, overtake him, kill him, and this is all finished. And Absalom likes that plan. He likes what's been said. But he turns to Hushai and he says, Hushai, what do you think? Should we pursue David tonight? Should we take the small army that we currently have and track him down and end this all now? Or what should we do? And Hushai, who's been sent here specifically to give Absalom bad advice and give him bad counsel, does exactly that. He says, you're forgetting something. Sure, that sounds like a great plan. Go overtake David tonight, kill him, and this is all over for you. He said, but have you forgotten who your father is? He said, this is not any king that we're chasing. This is not any king that we're pursuing. This is the mighty warrior David. This is a man who, again, as we said earlier, survived for years with the entire uh, army of the nation of Israel pursuing him. Saul would bring thousands of men to, to search out caves and see if they could find him. And he, he escaped and he was, uh, he, he was so able to avoid and elude Saul time and time again. And beyond that, think of this. This is not just any group of warriors that have surrounded him. Later on, we'll see this group of men termed and called David's mighty men. These are men who have performed incredible feats in, uh, in battle, men who have been battle-tested and who have, who have endured so much. He said, if you go and pursue them tonight with this smaller group of men, even if you don't lose the battle, Let's just say that David holds his own, that David is able to fend you off, and he, and he takes the lives of a few of your men. He said, that is going to begin to spread. And not only are the men that are currently with you going to begin to doubt you, he said, but all throughout Israel, that doubt is going to spread and spread, and no one is going to want to stand behind you because they recognize and they realize how mighty of a warrior David still is. He said, you don't want that. You don't want him to be able to gain that reputation again. He said, so what you do is you wait. You wait. Take a few days. Assemble just the largest army that Israel has ever seen. And then you pursue David. 
You pursue David and that small army that he has with the largest army Israel has ever assembled. He said, you will track him down. You will find him and you will have total and complete victory. That's the advice that Hushai gives. And Absalom thinks, thinks it over and thinks about it. And he decides to go with the advice of Hushai. He said, I don't think it's worth the risk to go after David tonight because if we lose or at least are held back, that could look really bad to the nation. We're going to assemble this army. We're going, to, um, we're going to gather together this great force to pursue after David. It may take us a few days time, but we'll eventually get the victory. And while he takes Hushai's advice, what he has inadvertently done is he's given David time. Because let's be fair, if he had followed Ahithophel's advice, more than likely they would have tracked David down. More than likely, his still larger army would be able to overtake David and his men, and this all would be over. But instead, he follows Hushai's advice. He waits a few days, he gathers this large army, and he gives David an opportunity to be able to form a plan and to be able to form uh, his, his armies and put things together. And that's exactly what happens. This begins in 2 Samuel chapter number 18. David gathers his armies, all those who would support him, and he divides his army into three different groups. And it's important for us to recognize who leads these groups because there's a name we haven't seen before. The first, the commander of that first army is going to be Joab. As we know, Joab has been the commander of David's army for many, many years. David and Joab go, go all the way back to the beginning. They are, they're close relatives of each other. They know each other very well. Of course, we've been following this, this division, this split that is arising between these two. Joab still is the only person, more than likely, who knows about the fact that David sent Uriah to the front of the battle to be killed. Uh, he has, and Joab has shown that he's willing to exploit this. Uh, he's shown by his actions and by some of the, the ways that he has spoken to David that he clearly has lost some of that respect that he had for David and that a fracture in this relationship is developing. So Joab leads the first section of the army. The second section is led by Joab's brother, Abishai. Abishai has been very loyal to David. Uh, he has been a, a, a great warrior for David. But the third name we see on that list is a man named Ittai. Ittai we've seen listed in groups, but we haven't really seen him much. And he's now been elevated to this position of leading a third of the army into battle. And the men tell David that he's to remain back. And he, they say that this entire battle is all about you. It doesn't matter if they kill 10,000 of us. All they want is you. And if they can take your life, this battle's over and we've lost. So you stay back. We'll go into battle. We'll defeat Absalom's army. And so the day comes, past, it comes to time when these men are ready to go into battle. And David gives one final instruction to his men and specifically to those three commanders of the army. He said, I want you to go into battle. I want us to want to see a great victory. But if it's all possible, if it is at all possible, I'd like to see Absalom spared. I'd like to see his life, his, his life spared at this time. So David's men continue into battle with this new directive that they've been given. 
and the battle goes David's way. They begin to win and they begin to push back the armies of Absalom until eventually a small group of men find Absalom. He's gone through this uh, this rough terrain and the Bible tells us that for all of the men that were killed, 20,000 men lose their life in this battle, but more of them die because of the terrain, because of the difficult uh, place in which they're fighting than those that actually die by the sword. And eventually a small group of David's men come across Absalom. And if you remember from our first introduction to Absalom, one of the things that we know about him is that he was a a very beautiful man, but also that he had this long hair. And the Bible says and tells us that as he rode his animal through these trees, that his hair gets caught up in the branches of this tree and he's caught and he can't get away and he's unable to flee. And now he's ready to be captured by the armies of Israel and by David's armies. And the message is quickly relayed all the way back to Joab. They say, we've we found Absalom, we can bring him alive, he's here caught in this tree, we can, we can accomplish everything that David wants us to accomplish. And Joab sends the message back, he said, why then you already killed him? And the men say, well, we heard what David's instructions were. He said, no one is to touch Absalom if at all possible. And Joab says, I, I, would, I would give you all of this wealth and all, these, all this money if you were to kill him. And the man said, uh, answered back to him. He said, it doesn't matter how much money you promise me. What good is that money going to do if I'm dead? And that is exactly what's going to happen to me when David finds out that I was the one who took his son's life. And Joab says, well, if you won't do it, I will. And Joab takes three darts and puts them through Absalom's heart and takes Absalom's life, even though he didn't have to, and even though he knew that it was in direct conflict to what David had commanded them to do. And what he does is he has the body of Absalom thrown into a pit covered with rocks. He wants to make sure that Absalom dies in in humiliating fashion that he's not properly buried, that he is not being recognized as the son of the king. He wants to make a point, he wants to make a statement that Absalom has betrayed David, that Absalom has betrayed the kingdom, and he should not be, tra- he should not be treated as the king's son. He should, be tra- he should be treated as the traitor that he really is. And so what we see is the message eventually makes its way back to David. That they've won the battle, but... The only thing David cares about, he says, what's happened to my son? Is Absalom still alive? And eventually that message is relayed to David that Absalom has lost his life. And David immediately goes into mourning and begins to weep and begins to cry. And he's in mourning for his son. He's in mourning for the one who, yes, had betrayed him, but still was so loved clearly by David. I think David truly did have a desire to repair his relationship with Absalom, to make things right, to reunite them again, but that would never happen. Absalom is dead. The Bible tells us that the men, because they see the way that David's reacted, there's no joyous celebration in the camp. There's no songs of victory. There's no parade. There, There is no rejoicing. They go quietly back to their to their houses. And there's one person who's very upset about this reaction, 
and that person is Joab. And to be honest, Joab is angry. He's angry and he's upset. And because of that relationship dynamic between him and David, Joab goes in and feels the right that he should be able to say the things uh, that, 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 that he does. And what we see here is we see the way that Joab responds to the king. And I'm going to read just a few of those verses from 2 Samuel 19. And remember, when we read these words, this, these words are being spoken to a man whose son was just killed in battle by the man who killed him. And here's what Joab says in 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse number 5. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, and the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. From this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well." Now therefore arise, go and speak comfortably unto thy servants, for I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night, and that will be worse unto thee than all the evil that befell thee from thy youth until now. And Joab confronts David in just such an angry fashion for a man whose son was just killed and Joab knowing that he's the man who disobeyed the direct command that he was given to spare Absalom's life, to bring him alive. And Joab goes in front of David and he said, David, if we had all died and Absalom had lived, just Absalom and every man in your army would have died, I think you'd be happy then. And he goes to David and he said, David, if you don't go out and congratulate these men, if you don't go out and talk about how wonderful a victory that this was, he said, I promise you, not one of us is going to stand here with you. Such, such difficult words for a man whose son was just killed, being spoken by the man who, let's be honest, let's be frank about it, who murdered his son didn't need to be killed, was no threat, could have easily taken him captive. But instead, Joab disobeys David's direct order and murders his son. And whatever gap and divide existed between Joab and David before is now permanently separated. David is going to go out of his way to make sure that he makes it clear that he doesn't trust Joab, makes it clear that he is no longer on those good terms with Joab. Now, he very well could have taken more drastic action than this. He very well could have handled this in a much more stern way, but essentially he just decides to ignore the issue that Joab has created in killing his son. But he does make a, a, definite, a definite decision to go in a different direction. And that's what we see here at the end of chapter number 19, is David calls out to a young man whose name is Amasa. This is, uh, again, a distant relative of David's, someone from the, the, those southern tribes in Judah. And he promises Amasa, he said, that if you come and you follow me, I promise you that you'll be the new commander of my army. Now, he gives no directive and gives no instructions as to what he's going to do with Joab, how that situation will sort itself. But he brings in Amasa 
And he says, I'm going I'm to install you as the new leader of our army. Because clearly David's rift between him and Joab has gone too far and has grown too great for him to be able to continue this relationship in the way that it has been. The last two things that we see here in this chapter before we close this evening is we see that man Shimei that we talked about at the beginning. This man who had thrown rocks at David and cursed at David, who Abishai wanted to have killed. He changes his mind once David is reinstated as king. He, as quickly as he can, gathers together some of his friends. They make their way to David and they plead for their life. And they say the things that we said, oh, we shouldn't have said it. We were just angry. We were just upset. That's on us. Would you please forgive us? Would you please look over those faults and those, uh, th- those terrible things that we said and those terrible things that we did? And would you... Find it in your heart to be able to forgive us. And we see that David does. David says, I'm not going to take your life. I'm not going to punish you further. Now, to have a little look ahead into the story. After a few chapters, when David comes to the end of his life, there's a list of people that he's going to give to Solomon to take care of. These are the people who have wronged David, who have betrayed him, and that he wants Solomon to take care of, Shimei makes that list. But for now, at this point, David shows him grace and mercy again, doesn't take his life, and allows him to continue. Then we see Mephibosheth. And if we remember from the beginning of these chapters, Mephibosheth had been betrayed by his own servant. Ziba had come to David and had told him that Mephibosheth had abandoned him and had had attached himself to Absalom when that just simply wasn't true. Mephibosheth now comes to David and welcomes him back as the king. And David is unsure about how this all happened, but eventually these two reconcile. He understands that Mephibosheth had been betrayed just as he has been betrayed, and that Ziba truly was the one uh, who had lied to David and had put Mephibosheth in this difficult situation. The final person that we see David speak with here in chapter number 19 is a man named Barzillai. Barzillai had helped David as he was running from Saul many, many years ago. And David doesn't attempt to uh, bring Barzillai back with him to Jerusalem. And he asks Barzillai to come and basically let David make his end of life comfortable. He said, you're, you're, you're aging and you're getting up in years, but I, I'd like to make you a wealthy man. I would like to make you a comfortable man. I'd like to give you a good life in the time that I can. And Barzillai thanks him, and Barzillai is very thankful and grateful for what David is offering, but decides to, to go back home. But I think what we really see from David through this whole story, not just these chapters, but throughout his whole life, for all of David's flaws and his failings, the difficulties and the, the challenges that he presents and causes himself, David is a very loyal man. He's a very good friend. I think we see from David's life a depth of friendship and true relationship that we, we really don't see from most any other king in, in Israel. Solomon will marry many women for political purposes and for political reasons. The next generations of kings will make alliances and treaties, and uh, they, will, they will gain themselves political favor. 
but David truly established friendships and close relationships with so many, with so many of the men that he came in contact with. And I think it's a wonderful principle for us all to look at the depth of relationship, the length and longevity of relationship, and the loyalty and friendship that David was able to show to those who had been kind and gracious to him over the years. And it's just a wonderful testament to David's character and to his relationships. We're going to stop there for this evening in 2 Samuel chapter 19. We'll start in chapter number 20 next week.